0: Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Season 2 is going to be absolutely incredible. Because in Season 2, I have a co-host. Co-host, say hello.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: That's Caroline. She's now my co-host. So, season two of Shareable is going to be a little bit different. We're still talking about people and technology, but we're going to go a little bit deeper, a master class. So, grab your favorite pen.
1: And your favorite piece of paper.
0: And get ready to take some notes, because this
1: is Shareable.
0: Welcome back, Shareable listeners. My name is Jeff Gibbard, and my voice is sounding extra deep today. I have Caroline with me. Say hello.
1: Hi, I'm Caroline Tassone.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a That was my NPR voice. That's nice. I like what you did there. We have been having so much fun before actually hitting the record button. (laughs) I'm really proud of us. Um, Yo, let me just say, first of all, housekeeping sort of stuff. Shareable season two has been super freaking awesome. And I'm so happy that we chose to switch up our format. For season two and that we're going to be switching up for season three mm-hmm. but the, the feedback has been fantastic we love you audience for listening we love to see our download numbers uh continuing to climb please tell more people about it please uh <laughs> also if you like us on overcast please hit that star button because it really does help us uh the more we stay in that top 10 of the business category, the more people can hear all of the awesome sauce that our guests are bringing. And we've been on fire lately, as in since we launched season two. And I'm really happy because today's guest is more of that fire. We're going to talk so much this season about, um, we've talked a lot about company culture and how to build thriving teams and communication skills, a lot of things that really involve the people side of business. Um we haven't really talked as much about technology. Maybe we should try and fill that out. But it's a lot of stuff about people. Uh and then today we'll get to
1: that next season. <laughs> yeah, who knows?
0: We'll figure out what today. Uh but today we have uh, just a super amazing, funky, fresh, dope, awesome guest, uh Jennifer Yanolo. <laughs> say hi
2: hi <laughs>
0: that's the first time i've ever introduced someone quite like that
2: <laughs> i don't think i've funky ever fresh. been called funky fresh but i'll take
0: it so so funky fresh is definitely one but uh what was uh was it patty uh, yeah. azarello yeah no
1: my introduction for her was a boss ass lady and i said that to her face
0: yeah because she and she was totally she a boss-ass it's lady. true it was awesome yeah so uh That's actually one that if if you're listening to this episode, you also want to go back and listen to Patty's episode after this one. Um, So, Jennifer, uh, who are you and what do you do? Tell people
2: all about yourself. Well, aside from also being a boss-ass lady, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am a global empowerment catalyst. And what that means is I travel around the planet to stages and small rooms and back rooms and talk to men and women about how we're how we're getting our communication upside down and how to right the ship
0: um sorry did you say global empowerment catalyst and then say you travel around the planet i did that's amazing (laughs) that just even the way that you languaged (laughs) that the, the the words that you're using here (laughs) It's just so big. And I love that so much. Thank you for that. Thank
1: you.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's a big planet, but it's a little planet. So uh, it works out.
0: It's awesome. So, so you go around helping people to, uh, to talk about empowerment, to talk about how they communicate with one another. Tell me a little bit more about that. How's that worked out?
2: Well, to to echo you, I'm going to language that a little differently since we're creating new words today. (laughs) um, Okay. Yeah. So no, and this is is actually what we're going to dive into today is that I don't help people. I actually ignite their empowerment. And that is the core of everything that I do. And I'll explain why in a little bit.
0: Awesome. Uh, Well, if we were to have somebody listening right now, that would be your ideal audience for the sort Mm -hmm. of message that you bring, uh, who would that, person be? What would they look like? Would they be male? Would they be female? Would they be everybody? You know, Who is the ideal person to be listening Mm -hmm. to this episode today, given your uh, ability to ignite?
2: Well, it's really interesting. Um, I, I work a lot with entrepreneurs. That is my wheelhouse because that's who I am. It's who I've been since I was eight years old. And so it's really about people who are creating because as you've, I'm sure, seen from various people on this podcast that Teamwork is a tricky thing, especially if you've got a team of men and women and they need to communicate. And so as, as a company founder, um, finding out how to, to really get the best out of your people and have them win at work and, and be really an integral part of your vision requires a little bit of skill and art,
0: That's absolutely true. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have to spend a lot of time thinking about that. I spend a lot of time thinking about my team, how we communicate. My team is Mm -hmm. primarily women, uh, although I do have a few men on my team. So we're always uh, working on that ourselves. So I'm looking forward to what I can learn today about how I can be a better leader. Um, So let's jump right into it because I think there's a lot of of subject matter here. So there's really no point Mm -hmm. in us doing too much of the setup. I think let's just jump right into it. And the first thing I would want to know is, um, on behalf of leaders and entrepreneurs everywhere, uh, particularly men, uh, leading organizations of diverse makeups, uh, what's one mistake that people tend to make when starting out that if they just corrected
2: that would make a huge impact? And I, this, is, oh, this is my favorite subject because, <laughs> well, because I've, I've now seen this in many countries. So this is kind of a universal human thing that seems to be happening where we think we need to empower people right? So if if I have a team of people and we need to get a project done, I think it's my job to like be this cheerleader who keeps everybody excited. And really, I think that is the opposite way to go about it. I think the best way to have your company succeed is to find the reason why they come to work every day, find out why they're there, and then deliver on that. So when I sit my team down for things, the first thing I ask them is, where do you want to be developed while you're on this project with me? And, you know, they might say to me, well, I really like to develop my communication skills or my presentation skills, or I want to learn how to be a better closer. Then I note that. And I know that my job as the person leading this team of people is to make sure they are developed in that area. And so it creates a different kind of commitment Um, there, it's not about, Hey, we need to win and we need to make this project work. It's, Hey, you are going to win personally out of this, because if you don't know what Joe in cubicle five is like why he gets out of bed every morning and comes to work, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle.
0: So how do you express that to them? I mean, without being a cheerleader, how do you let people know that you're standing for them and the growth that they're trying to, to have in their, in that project?
2: Well, it's really about creating their milestones. You know, it's about creating their KPIs, uh, their key performance indicators. So when I sit down with them, I say, what would be the best way to measure this? Like, how do you know you're winning? So if they say to me, you know, um, I want to be a better closer, that's an easy one because we look at numbers. How many deals are you closing? So when you have a staff create their own measurements, it has them look at what are the things I need to develop and how do I know? Because otherwise it's all vague, right? So if we say, I want to be a better presenter, well, what does that look like? How do we know? And all of the clients that I work with one-on-one, those are the, the milestones that we establish. We make sure that it's measurable.
0: This sounds familiar to me. Let me explain. When we do strategy with clients, we mm-hmm. identify their goals and we make them say what those goals are, what they're trying to accomplish. And then we ask them to identify what would be metrics of success in that. So yeah. this is sounding a lot like strategy development, like almost like yeah. personal empowerment strategy. Or With something.
2: humans. <laughs> yeah, Human exactly. Human strategy development. Fascinating. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. Well, then the, one, some of the things that we might do is look at what are some of the things that are in your way or where are some assets that you think that you bring to the table that will help you get there. Talk to me about some of the other things that you do uh, outside of the goals and the KPI, how you begin to get people to see what they have going for them or what their challenges are and, and all that sort of, how that, how that strategy comes yeah. together.
2: It's actually the same set of questions, right? So if if we've set some goals for them and they haven't met the measures, then we sit down and say, okay, so what was in the way there? And however, it's on a personal level, right? So like, what are the things in the way of your confidence? Um, What is in the way of the way you see yourself, you know, and then we have them create themselves in a different way. So again, it comes back to that we're igniting what's already in there, but they may not know it's there right? I've seen a, there was a woman that I worked with who went from being this, this woman was so terrified of speaking in front of a group of people. She was shaking and in tears the first time. Now she has her own company. She's out selling, she does talks (laughs) and she has just unleashed herself because she realized she broke through all of that terror of putting herself out there. And so we had to work on what was having her be scared in the first place.
0: So at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about the complexities of communication between men and women and mm-hmm. some of those differences. So my my internal uh, male instinctual reaction to that conversation – and mind you, I, I spend a lot of time with my team talking about you know, how we feel about things and what's in our way and, and all of the sort of emotional things that actually lead to action. But the first thing that, that instinctually has to happen as a male – uh, in the society that comes to me is, oh, well, that sounds really, really fluffy and fun about our feelings and mm. such, right? So mm-hmm. I'm wondering in your experience working <laughs> with some hard seasoned male executives who are like, I don't want to talk about my feelings about results. What, mm-hmm. what, how have you dealt with that? I mean, I can imagine that women will more likely, I'm sure there's women that will reject that message as well, but I'm sure they're more likely to listen to and hear that message. How do you, how do you deal with this both male and female?
2: It's so interesting because I don't talk about feelings at all. <laughs> um, I talk about performance, and so men can hear me because they can hear that language, right? We mm-hmm. talk about um, we. T- it, it's more uh, it's more technique driven. Whereas with women, women have a, a very interesting script, and I've now been in enough countries talking to them to know that there are some things that are fairly universal. Um, we are brutally hard on ourselves, especially if we've started a company and we are constantly struggling with, are we doing it right? Is this perfect enough? Are we perfect enough? Like there's that conversation comes up so much less with men. Um, and men are, I find, and again, I, I work with a lot more female founders than I do with male founders just because of how it shook out. But, but the male founders are more about, is this working? you know, what's not working in the formula. Women are more about what's wrong with me that it's not working. So we look at the problems differently. That's a really interesting.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting distinction. Do you ever have situations where you're dealing with a leadership team that's mixed and how to deliver a message that resonates with both?
2: Well, yes. I mean, I've worked with even some Silicon Valley startups where there's a mixed founding team and it's a very different set of conversations Um, because there's, you know, there's the internal conversation and an internal team could work brilliantly, but then when they face the outside world, if there are, let's say there's a male founder and a female founder, um, in a meeting, someone is automatically going to address the male founder. So I train the teams so that the male founder will then kick that spotlight over to his partner. So there's this whole mechanism that has to happen because of the unconscious bias that already exists.
0: That makes perfect sense. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) He's pondering. Yeah,
0: like I (laughs) I was like, I'm watching the the process happen. (laughs) No, like this is the point. This is a really big conversation, right? Like, there's a lot to this, and I'm trying to think out of all of the many paths we can take this, where Mm -hmm. to go with it, because. There, there's the, you know, what are the things you found in talking to males that, that uh, male founders that, that maybe um, they struggle with the things you find with females. How do you bridge mm-hmm. the two? How do you deal with the team? There's like a bazillion
2: different topics here. <laughs> there are. Yeah. And I want to, I want to share a story with you regardless of where we go. That. This is yeah. my favorite story. So, so about 10 years ago, I was the co-founder of Culinary Media Network and that was the world's first food podcast channel. So, um, so I was podcasting a decade ago. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And so my, my partner was a a male chef. And so we, you know, we would travel and we'd have to eat out a lot. So every time, and I mean, every time for seven years that we sat down in a restaurant, the bill came to him. And every time the bill was put on the table in front of him, he would say, well, She's the CEO and she has the corporate card. So you may want to put that in front of her every single time. And so it just shows you, and there's nothing right or wrong about it. It just shows you what the mindset of a human is.
0: Yeah. And it's such a, that's like so complex. It's funny. I was just out for sushi with my fiance the other day and we were Mm -hmm. sitting at the sushi bar and we were right next to this gentleman came in and the check comes and we split it. And he like, basically this complete stranger shamed me for not buying dinner (laughs) for my fiance. Mind you, like we share everything. We're going to be sharing finances. We live together. Like all of our money is together going to pay for like, but he was shaming me about that. And at the same way, like as a, you know, background working in restaurants, you almost always by instinct, well, I would always put it in the middle of the table, but right. you know, it was always thought you give it to the male at the table because mm-hmm. classic gender roles and such. So mm-hmm. it, how do you break down those complex power structures and, and you know, default oh, ways yeah. of thinking, how do you break that down? So <laughs> absolutely. that absolutely what without the, at the same time, without disempowering, I guess not disempowering. That's not the wrong way of looking at it, but like the, without offending people who believe in those existing structures.
2: Well, and this is the whole thing, right? This is the correction. So see, we're naturally going down a path. We'll be okay. Yes. I mean, I figured
0: we would. There's just so many paths.
2: I know. I know. Well, there's, (laughs) but there's a correction that needs to happen at a very almost at a molecular level. Right. So one of my founding teams, you know, the guy is like a six foot two football player looking guy from the Midwest. And the other one is a petite blonde. Right. And she's the CEO. So, we had to actually train him that when they go into a meeting and everybody assumes he's the CEO, he's got to maneuver the conversation. And so it's really about training everybody on the team to, to set up the scenario. Um, And, you know, and the thing about it is women can get really frustrated about this. And what I try to, to tell them is this is simply what's so it's not right or wrong. It's just, this is where we are. So what we need to do is work from where we are and without, because there's this, there's a really convoluted conversation out there right now between men and women. And it's, it's kind of messy. You know, it's, there's anger, there's blame, there's, there's no room for creating anything. And the entire reason that I created the Concordia project was to improve the conversation between men and women because it's so messy and so what I have found is that anytime I walk into a room and I talk to them and I don't make the men wrong, the men participate in the conversation because they're no longer the enemy. They're actually part of the group. Yep. And then we can really have a dialogue because otherwise it's just, well, men own everything and they're wrong. <laughs> There's nowhere to go from there. And frankly, if I were a guy, I'd really, I would dig my heels in. And say, okay, well, if you're trying to take this from me now, now you're not gonna get it at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I talk a lot about that when I'm giving advice to clients or um, you know, any other leader about how to deal with the situation oftentimes the first thing I look for is taking the wrong out of it. You know, if, yes. if, if you make somebody else wrong, they're going to dig their heels and they're going to get you're defensive done. and you just have no ability to influence them. Whereas if you mm-hmm. sit on the same side of the table with them and you look about common goals about where you're trying to go, you have a much yeah. better chance of actually getting to go somewhere. So that makes perfect sense to me.
2: Absolutely. And it's, you know, if you assume the best of people, right, we all want to live well and we all want to succeed and perform Um, we want things to go. And if we look, what I do is I take, when I take out the, the making wrong, what I put in is workability. Does it work that X, Y, Z, Mm -hmm. um, because it's completely objective, right? It's not about an opinion. It's not about feelings. It's not, it's simply about, does this work or does this not work?
0: What do you do when they're, so um, let me push back and challenge you on that a little bit. It's not about, um, you know, it, it's not, a, it's, it's objective, right? Does it work or does it not work? Mm-hmm. But, but whether or not something works can be a very subjective idea. It works because I'm a part of it. And because I say this, or I have my ego involved with the outcome of it, or I like the way the process feels, or there, there's a lot of situations in which the answer to that question is subject to how the, the leader at the top feels and whether or not they rule with a very top-down authority.
2: I don't know that. Yes, but things either work or they don't. So, for example, and and I know we're talking in abstracts, right? Yeah. <laughs> but let's 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 take a concrete, right? So, if we have a financial goal for the end of the year, we can look at that and say, well, does it work? That this team is not communicating well because if not, we're not going to do great presentations. We're not going to create what we need. Like there is an objective way to look at it and mm-hmm. taking the feelings out of it.
0: I, and I so the work there, yeah. let me, let me just clarify. Sure. So, because I'm in my head, I'm thinking of a very specific example that I do not want to actually write the details <laughs> of, but um, you know, let's say that the situation is uh, our company has a really bad culture. And um, in some cases I think the communication is a, one of the, it would be a key example in this, there's bad communication between two parts of the company, mm-hmm. Maybe the, the leadership gets really involved in this. And you say, it does it work. And they say, well, clearly it doesn't. And then you say, well, okay, let's think of some other solutions. And every other solution you bring in, the the actual cause of the problem to be removed. You see what I'm saying? So like in their mind, what is actually broken is not something that they're necessarily willing to fix. Does that make sense? I know again. Yes,
2: but that's, well, but that's when I become their worst nightmare because then I say, does it work that you are getting in the way here? Ooh. Like it has to be confronted at that yeah. level. Well, I say to CEOs all the time, does it work that you're trying to meddle in everything? Does it work that you are micromanaging your entire team? I love it. I mean, we've met, you know my delivery. No, I
0: know <laughs> I, I, and I absolutely love it. It and I I the power of being confronting
2: the- Yeah, does it work that you're a jerk? Not really. Yeah.
1: <laughs> how do you push past that? Like, how do you like at first, I'm sure they're like huffing and puffing, but mm-hmm. how do you oh, sure. to, to come around. Well,
2: sometimes that happens on a stealth level. So they'll, <laughs> they'll do it when I'm, they'll comply when I'm not looking. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but if, if I have done my job in setting up what the trajectory looks like, they will trust me Mm -hmm. and so i really work out front to have them put themselves in my hands Mm -hmm. and that takes you know that takes something but if they just trust me and let go of their ego which you know can be challenging especially in silicon valley um sometimes i'll find out later that they've implemented what i said
0: <laughs> so you talked a little bit earlier before about the difference between men and women in this conversation with men is does it work and with women it 's more about what 's not working for you maybe and and that whole onslaught of self criticism that might come in the way there um, is there a difference in the way that this sort of a conversation winds up playing out or the way that you um, the way that you have these kind of conversations with with men or women founders uh, uh, regarding the is it workable are you more focused on the the outcomes with men and more focused on the the barriers with women or or kind of i guess what i'm getting at is what's um what's something that we need to know about in terms of how to approach these situations are there any rules that you came around or, or things that you figured out that that would help us as leaders to better communicate with our staff or or even with uh our clients
2: hell yes okay so the biggest one and this is my absolute favorite catchphrase and I think I may need it on a t-shirt or something. If I were ever someone to get a tattoo, I'm not. But if I ever were, this is the one that I would get. (laughs) And what I like to say to people is no one is coming. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of us are like, we're hoping for the Hail Mary pass, right? Like someone's going to save us. Something is going to happen. Something out there is going to shift this. And what I try to explain to people is No one is coming to do that, right? Superman is not about to arrive on the ledge outside. So who do you need to be to make this go? And when we frame it that way, what happens is people then get that empowerment is not, it's not this gift, right? So I can't come to you and empower you. That's a false notion. And here's why. If I can give you empowerment, I can also take it away. And then it becomes temporary. Make sense? Yeah, yeah.
0: And you don't own it. It's right. It's, it's not really,
2: yeah. you're not really being, yeah, you're
0: lending them. <laughs> I'm
2: lending it. it. Really right. So if you think about it, if you apply that to men and women, right, when you hear women say, we need to take our power back. My question to them is always, so then after we take it back, are they going to come get it again? Because <laughs> then we're just passing a ball back and forth. Yeah. And that doesn't work. However, if empowerment is something we ignite in people, they own it, it's up to them, we give them the keys to the kingdom. Or in the case of women, I like to say the keys to the queendom. <laughs> and then it's yours forever. And, but what comes with that is the responsibility of knowing it's yours and you must make it happen. Right.
0: I really like the way that you framed that because what immediately jumped to my mind when you said no one is coming, it's like, what if you were stranded, you know, on like a, yeah. you know, a, a beach somewhere and you were like, we'll just wait here until help comes. And then you have this profound realization one day, no one's coming. You change your entire course of action mm-hmm. in how you deal with that. Um, yeah, those
2: coconuts are not going to crack themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I like about this is this whole concept around empowering people. It, it so resonates with me because I find myself sickened to like a, a, a physical degree when I see motivational content sometimes. <gasps> yeah, yeah, you're probably with me on this. Celebrate
2: piece. your bliss.
0: Yeah. So, much of It's just so vague and empty. It's
2: so convoluted. And, and I,
0: I remember one day posting on my Instagram – Actually I just brought it up I, I wrote no one actually inspires anyone else the best they can do is help you inspire yourself inspiration isn't extrinsic it's intrinsic stop waiting for someone else create your own motivation that's what and I this is why
2: we're friends yes <laughs> it is exactly why we're friends because
0: I, I I firmly believe that that you cannot be inspired that that is so good no one is coming that's the name of the episode no, no one is coming. coming.
2: Yes, we had it. it. (laughs) That's my most successful article so far.
0: Really? I think it's great because it puts the onus on you to, like, just let's do this. And the other thing about why it's really resonating with me right now is I've had a a, a relatively recent onslaught of people looking for me to bring in the silver bullet. And I'm like, yo, I don't silver bullet. Here's the process that you're going to have to go through. And you have to do work.
2: You have to do the work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I have. Well,
2: there's there's, there are two post-its above my desk and I don't know, am I allowed to swear or no? Yeah, you can oh, say whatever absolutely. the hell you want. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Fucking awesome. <No. laughs> nice. So above, I have two post-its above my desk because I noticed that I was getting in my own way too. And the post-its are, don't let anything fuck with your momentum and do the work. mm
0: Love it. Always love to do, the uh, do the work. Just like do
2: the work. Like you've already, yep. you've spent hours on the plan, execute the plan.
0: Yeah. Just do it. Hit. Pause. That's all there is Let's to go. do. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. So I want to bring us back to yes. communication, internal communication. I want to actually dig into some of the, uh, the, the conversations around, men and women in the workplace. And I want you to Mm -hmm. first tell us a little bit about the Concordia project and what that's all about, um, Mm -hmm. as sort of a setup to, this is what your passion is. This is what you've decided to go and, uh, do out in the world to make, to make a better world. Let's talk about that, but then let's flow that into, um, some really practical talk about if you're running an organization, here's some of the things you need to think about. Here's some conversations you probably need to have. Here's how you need to check yourself, all that sort Mm. of stuff. So let's start with the Concordia project.
2: Great. I love the Concordia project. (laughs) so um when i was looking at just kind of the the state of women and what was going on you know i i was never someone who really the whole thing about feminism and the feminist movement it it never really resonated with me and one day i I stopped and asked myself why because i found that very curious you know i i am a woman (laughs) so what was the deal and i realized it was because my parents are european so My mother never had this feminist context. She just did what she did, right? She, At 19, she packed a trunk and went to the United States by herself. And she didn't ask permission. She didn't, like, check in about it. She made a decision, and she left. And so I started looking at what context that gave me. And I looked at the females in my family. You know, my my Scottish grandmother was a Rosie the Riveter in Scotland during World War II. What is that? Uh, Just, pardon I don't know what that is. What is that? Rosie the Riveter?
1: What Rosie the Riveter No.
0: That's why I oh, that, literally God. and I can't be so the only one. There's gotta be you, somebody listening that you doesn't ha- know.
2: Okay, fine. But- okay, now you're getting a visual by email. So <laughs> I'm
0: fine with that. So
2: Rosie the Riveter, so <laughs> all of that. the women in all the women in World War II went went to work because the men were away at war right? Mm -hmm. So the the posters that went up in the United States were about Rosie the Riveter. She's making a muscle. She did. I was like, okay. (laughs) Well, now I know that. Now you know. (laughs) So my grandmother every morning in Scotland would put on a pair of coveralls and go weld bombs. That's what she did during the war. Um, Yeah. And then my Italian grandmother, you know, we're talking the, the big toe of Italy is where my family, my Italian side of the family is from. She had an arranged marriage and she got a divorce in the 1940s in Southern Italy because her husband was a jerk. So I came from this line of women who were extraordinarily fierce, did not ask permission. They just did what they needed to do. And I realized that because of that context, I had a certain way, like I never said to myself, you're a girl, therefore, I just did what I did. And so I started looking at what would happen if we took that conversation out to the women's movement that is happening right now. How would that change the conversation? And how do we create a space for men to be able to talk as well? So when I was working on this concept, <laughs> I'm like, I need a goddess name. And I researched 300 goddesses to find the right one um, from, you know, Greek, Roman, um, Sumerian Native American and then I found Concordia and what I love about her is she was the one of the only goddesses to have a temple in the Roman forum and she was when the Senate could not agree they would go into her temple to work it out so she was this bringer of harmony right so we went with Concordia and then I found out she is the daughter of Mars and Venus (laughs) so she was our destiny (laughs) Because that's traditionally the male and the female signs, right? Yeah.
0: I read that book. It was great.
2: <laughs> oh, gosh. Seriously. It, well, and <laughs> even the symbols for man and woman come from the planetary symbols of Mars and Venus. I did not know all of that, but sh- so she ended up being the right choice. And so I looked at how do we create this virtual temple where we can come together and have a conversation that works? Because I come from workability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where it led us to is we now work a lot with women from 18 to 25 and we have a global think tank where they can talk about the things that matter to them. Cause we're starting with the women. It is a conversation that needs to be men and women, but we're starting with the women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we gather, we talk, we look at what needs to be done. And then we are developing now, um, a live and in-person six-month program. It's leadership development where we have young women create um, a social good project. So they have to build a team, a co-ed team, and they have to lead it. And they have to discover, they'll discover in that process who they are as leaders. And so then we unleash that on the planet. So that's, we're about to launch that in Mexico next year, which is super exciting because we're doing it in Mexico City uh, and they need a lot of help right now. So that's, that's, we're kicking that off very soon. And so with Concordia, the vision is to create a series of conversations around the world where we can do this a little better. We can have that conversation in a more effective way. Uh, and we have salon dinners where we gather people at a table and say, okay, so here is, you know, we'll take a topic like beauty standards and we'll bring people from all different facets of what that looks like. And we'll, you know, tear that idea apart and create a white paper. So we're not just sitting at a table talking, we're actually taking action.
0: That is so freaking cool. All right. I have follow-ups. Okay,
2: go ahead. So,
0: so so I am, I love your grandparents. I think that's so cool. Aren't they great? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Such great story about them. Uh, I love the idea of not just, I don't want to single out women for it, but like I do more need to single out women for it that don't have to ask permission because mm-hmm. I've found myself as a leader in my company, often saying to the the women that work for me, well, just go, go fucking do it. Just go do whatever the thing is. You don't need my permission. And I found that that conversation that sounds so very natural in my head that you just go do whatever you do. You don't ask for permission, whatever is a much more challenging thing because I haven't had the experience of maybe needing to ask for permission or Caroline, you can probably explain this better than I, but uh, the, and I'm going to let you in just one second, (laughs) the, what I'm, what my question is after Caroline explains is how do I, as a leader of, of a team, specifically a team that has a lot of women on it, how do I create an environment where they realize they don't need to ask for permission? And then Mm. I'll, I'll
1: say that, like, I think this, I actually find that this advice inspires a lot of empowerment in me. Like when, when you say like, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. It it inspires me to go forth and just try something, even if it'll Mm -hmm. fail. For me, it overcomes that, that fear of if I do this, I'm going to fuck this up. And Mm -hmm. now it's okay to fuck that up. We'll fix it. And I know that Mm -hmm. you're in on that team with me. However, I will find that I, I don't think that advice is like while it works for, like, me as a woman, I I don't think that's great advice for men, flip to the other way. Like, I think you mm-hmm. tend to operate with the, the, like you said, it's natural to you. But I think maybe stopping and saying, should I ask for permission is obviously an important part of that that. Well, side. I mean,
0: in, in, right. there are obviously just, contexts right. for that where I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. I think in the entrepreneurial conversation, yeah, like, in this should conversation. I go, yeah, like in the like, Hey, how's it going? Like, right. That conversation, <laughs> enthusiastic consent.
1: I've had friends that have actually brought this up to me when I've repeated that advice to them. And they're like, Caroline, that's garbage advice. Don't ever say that again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and the thing about it is, and I I've really been looking at this, um, there is, we have a cultural conversation as little girls where, and, and I I haven't gotten to the root of it yet, but I've just, I've now, I now have enough anecdotal evidence to know that this is a real thing to look at because I think I've worked with about a thousand women at this point. Um, and we're, it's like, we're, we really want to get that gold star.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we, we want to do a good job and we want to get the reward and be acknowledged and unfortunately, that sets up the whole, someone is coming to give me permission, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's where the no one is coming comes in. Or even sometimes with my clients, I'll say, no one is coming except me to tell you that no one is coming. <laughs> or or if they're really stuck, I say, I give you permission to succeed. Yeah. Just so we can get it out of the
1: way. Yeah.
2: Um. But the permission is a very real thing with women. And I think it's so ingrained in us to ask for permission. Um, And it is not just an American thing by any means. You know, but it's, but this, I've observed it more here. And and it puzzled me because we don't overtly have that conversation in our culture. Girls can do anything. No, they can't. (laughs) And I actually heard someone say the other day that, in America, oh, actually no, it was an uh, it was an op ed put out by Paulina Poroskova, where she she observed that when she grew up in Sweden, there was more of this egalitarian conversation. I love that piece, yeah. But in America, what she noticed is that we tell girls they can do anything until they try to, and then we slam them down. So it's actually a false promise.
1: I've felt it. I've like, I've been slammed. And I think like, Mm -hmm. it it comes from being reaffirmed throughout your growing process. It's like you, you get into jobs where you have a boss that's not necessarily invested in your success and Mm -hmm. like you face those battles and then you start to internalize that. And it becomes this like, okay, well, I have to do this, but I have to do it perfectly the first time, and it just creates so much pressure to overcome. I, like, oh, I yeah. it definitely like lends to why a lot of women find themselves very anxious. Absolutely, like, definitely in my case.
2: Yeah, and even you know, in a corporate setting, I've I've had executives tell me that women are a bad investment because they're going to get pregnant and leave.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They've actually said that out loud to me. Oh my god. And so, so it's real. It's not, we're not making it up. It's out there. And, but the question becomes, you know, where does the conversation start? And it literally starts right. when we come out, <laughs> you know, it starts from, from babyhood. So, so, and that's a big thing to take on.
0: So, I mean, I think, I don't think that it's a, a stretch for anyone's imagination to see that a world in which both men and women have the ability to go forth and, not wait for permission to do great things. I think mm-hmm. seeing that as a, a future world that we could get to is is an amazing idea. We're yeah. clearly not there. The question <laughs> I have as a leader, and I'm a leader of a small team. Like it's not like I have a team of you know a hundred women that I get to unleash upon the world. <laughs> but uh, as uh, as a stand-in for larger corporations that have that sort of pull, where does the conversation start at at my level as a uh, white male CEO, Mm -hmm. leader of a company, how do I initiate the change to get to a point, because what I want out of this is not just to do it for the sake of doing it. I want to do it for the sake of, I actually believe that if my entire team didn't have to wait for my permission, we would be better. And I don't know how to unlock that without coming from the perspective that I have, which is that I don't wait for anybody's permission for anything because that's how I fucking roll. I just do things as an entrepreneur. And I'm specifically talking the business context.
1: Um,
0: I go forth and I do things because if I have an idea, I know that no one is coming and it's on me to go make it happen. Mm-hmm. How do I, yeah. from my perspective, because I can't say it to someone who, that I haven't lived their experience and, and have it resonate. So how how do I, in my position, do better?
2: Yeah. And see, and this is where <clears throat> it's the perfect, the, this is where I would work with you one-on-one first to learn how to give that away because you, it is in your bones. You do not ask for permission. I do not ask for permission. I'm sure that's very shocking.
0: No, not at all,
2: but <laughs> so how it's like, how do we give that away? How do we have our team see that they can also do that? And a lot of it is walking the talk. So if, if you tell your team, go ahead and do that, don't ask me for permission, but then I micromanage it. I'm, I'm, I'm killing the process, Mm -hmm. right? I'm subverting them. So it's really about who am I every day as the leader of this team? How do I walk the talk so they believe me? And how do I, it's like they're standing over there and I need to pull this out of them, right? It's not me pushing it on them, it's pulling it out. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. So if someone comes to me and says, How do I do this? I say, that's a great question. How do you do this? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And sometimes I'll say, well, if you did know, how would you do it? (laughs) That's a great question. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah. Because they may, especially if this is a new conversation for them, they're still going to be looking for the answers.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And there is a confidence to build up in your team that you trust them to do the due diligence to find the answer. And sometimes for people it's terrifying.
1: I can kind of speak to that now. Like now that that's something that I understand about how like we work here, Mm -hmm. I don't ask for permission for a lot of the stuff that we do unless like I absolutely like need a piece of like information that you have, which Mm -hmm. like is the only thing that kind of blocks that at this point. But like, and I, that's advice I give to our intern. Like when we, when we talk talk to her, just like Natalie, go ahead, go do this thing. We believe in you. We want you here.
2: Well, and you can see the difference. So back in my culinary media network days, you know, we had a staff of writers and, and I discovered one day that I was making people cry with my perfectionism and micromanagement. (laughs) So I, so I went to work on that for myself. And what ended up happening was I found this amazing editor. She was 22 years old, this incredible editor who got my voice, who got our whole way of doing things. She ended up overseeing the entire staff of writers. I didn't even have to worry about it. She just handled everything. And so the contrast between those two moments still stays with me because it was about me getting out of the way and really not just saying, I want you to go do this, but really giving her the keys. Because a lot of time we say, we would like you to be a leader, but we don't really mean it.
0: Did you work with a coach there or did you just kind of take it upon yourself there?
2: Um, I did a lot of uh, leadership development with myself and looking at, you know, what does it look like to be a leader? So I had to really take apart my, my perfectionism. Got it. So I did get coaching around that for sure.
0: Got it. Yeah. I would probably suggest based upon that, uh, you know, I, I think it's a rare thing for somebody to be able to do what you did there and, and take it upon themselves. You have to be very open, very humble to be able to do that without the, you know, the, the constant working with a coach. I'd probably suggest that people look into a coach if they're seeing that whatever. Yeah. The coaching makes not the difference. Well, I mean, I
2: did have coaches, like I ended up needing outside perspectives. Yeah. I'd imagine that was super helpful. It is. And I mean, it's funny. I had a a founder come to me one time and say, well, look, if Michael Phelps has a coach, why don't I have one? And I said, well, you're exactly right. Yeah. Well,
0: (laughs) all right. (laughs) That makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes it's just an outside perspective. When I work with my clients, it's very much, they can't see it. They're too close. And you know that well, right? You, you know that when there's a really, there's this problem that is nagging at you and you can't see it, it's because you're, you're so close to it.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I want to end on one uh, one point that I think uh, would be helpful for, you know, I think we've had a really great discussion around, you know, what leaders can do, how they can think about things, the type of questions to ask, the type of environments to create, igniting that uh, inspiration in people rather than trying to, you know, give it to them. I would say as kind of the final uh, thought on it, um, how will some of these leaders know that they are making that progress? I mean, you could look at the goals and the KPIs and that's clearly one thing. Is there any other way that you can get a sense that you're moving in the right direction, you're empowering your people the right way and igniting in them uh, what mm-hmm. you're going to get out of them?
2: Yeah. So I think there's a there's a, a couple different thoughts that I have there. Um, so the one, just to come back to the initial, is is make sure you ask them where they want to be developed and then deliver on that. You have to deliver on that. Okay, so if they ask you for training, you need to provide it or find someone who can. That's critically important because they need to know you mean what you say, right? So that's the first piece. Um, The second piece is, sorry, give me the question one more time because my thought went somewhere.
0: Yeah, so the the question was, how will you as a leader know Mm. when you've taken on all these initiatives, how will you know that you've kind of gotten where you're going or you're at least on the right track?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there are the obvious things like KPIs, right? We know that. We know, you know, financially, bottom line, all that. But another way, and I actually did this with someone. Um, so, we, you know, we worked with his entire team around the world and we, we created all their KPIs. And then I said to him, now we need to measure you. So, how are we going to measure how effective you are being? We are going to create a happiness meter for the company. And your employees are going to anonymously respond to that survey. And if you're a four or below, we know that there's a problem. (laughs) Right on. So I put them on the hook.
0: So it's like a net promoter score for the boss.
2: Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. How highly would you recommend someone to work here?
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's a very cool uh, way of measuring it. I dig it. Well, you've been a phenomenal guest and you know I absolutely love your style because, well, it's very similar to my style. So, um, I'm not going to ask you permission to ask you this next thing, but uh, the, this is the point in the show where I like to give our guests a chance to talk about what they're working on, where our listeners can go and find out more information, where they can potentially work with you, read your work, listen to your podcast, or watch your videos, or whatever it is that you do. So, this part of the show is yours. You don't have to ask me permission for any part of this. So, just go for it. She
2: won't. Fabulous. Okay. I love that. I won't anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, for the Concordia Project, uh, they can come to concordiaproject.org. And if they know young, dynamic women 18 to 25 who would like to participate in a global conversation, they can actually apply to participate there. And then for me, uh, <laughs> this is always fun because it involves my last name. Everything that I do is at jenniferyanolo.com. And I know you'll put that in the show notes. So yes, we not have to worry about that. Don't worry about that. Um, okay, good. Uh, and that is where I have blog posts about, you know, are you playing fantasy football? Or are you leading a team? So I've got my blog post there. And then I speak around the world. So I love speaking with corporations. We're designing corporate workshops right now. We're writing the curriculum, um, not just for corporations, but for small teams also, to come in and work on these dynamics of communication. So we're doing those. Um, I have a new keynote that just came out last week about what this empowerment thing looks like and what it can look like. So, yeah. And then I do on a, on a very limited basis, I do private coaching with founders, which is always super fun for me.
0: Very cool. And I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to give you a little shout out right here uh, because I, I just so impressed by this fact about you. Um, I've done speaking engagements. I've been speaking now for several years and I absolutely love it. And I've sometimes done two speaking engagements in one day. I've done like a a keynote and then like a workshop or something like that. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, I'm dead. I'm like just (laughs) of every ounce of energy and, you know, mental clarity that I could possibly have. We've had days where we do podcasts and I'll do three or four of them in a day and I'm crushed. So the next day I'm just, I'm pooped. I'm out. I'm just (laughs) brunch and I'm having mimosas until, (laughs) you know, until they stop me. Tell us about that trip to India and what exactly that looked like, because I think people people really need to get a sense of like, when you say like you speak around the world, I think people really need to get a sense of like the, 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 I don't even know what to call it. (laughs) Just tell them about it. It's
2: nuts. (laughs) So, yeah. So I'm a featured speaker for the U.S. State Department on Women's Entrepreneurship. And so a lot of times I will do a tour through a country and talk to, and I don't just talk to women. I talk to men and women. So I just did a two and a half week tour of India to get entrepreneurs fired up for the global entrepreneurship summit, which is something president Obama created to bring American entrepreneurs and global entrepreneurs together. So it's happening this year for the first time in India. So I did, um, 31 speaking gigs in 15 days. So I was doing about two to three a day. <laughs> so I would do a keynote, a workshop, and then a meet and greet or a video or roundtable discussion or a salon tea. Um, but it was this really intensive, um, extraordinary experience. And I frankly don't know where I found the energy, but it just, it worked every day, every day, every day. And I didn't collapse at the end. <laughs> So it was, and I didn't lose my voice. That was pretty amazing.
0: No one knows how you did that. None of us. <laughs> I don't either. When well, you, I knew no one was coming. Yeah. When we <laughs> got together, you had just gotten back. And when you told me about that, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. 31 in 15 days. <laughs> and you didn't lose your voice. I I don't know how you do it. You're not human. <laughs> um, but you are but phenomenal. You, you, you're not human, but you're phenomenal. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. Shareable. Thanks for having me. Our, our listeners are better off because we get to have guests like you on the show. Uh, and mm. hopefully if somebody listens season one through season two and the end of it, uh, I think we're going to change the world. And I, I don't know <laughs> I if I really hope true, so. I think that we can, because I mean, if we get people coming on talking about the stuff like you're talking about, uh, I think we're going to create a better world for everyone, hopefully male, we'll, female, We'll ignite a desire.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's try to, to, to let, we're
0: gonna ignite We're going to ignite it. Let's ignite it. But I'll tell you what, I'm not asking for permission to do it. And <laughs> I'm <laughs> not either. My friends <laughs> is shareable.
1: Nice there are a couple thank yous and shout outs in order first thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value and a quick thank you to me for producing the show I'd like to send a shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song always and A Humitsu for the use of our outro song adventures you can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jay and you can follow me at Caroline Tassone. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod and just shareable podcast on everything else. That's Facebook, the gram, everything. You can email us at shareablepodcast at gmail.com, subscribe to our email list at slash subscribe. Do all the things subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. I don't know. She might like it. My mom does. Hey, mom.